Welcome to today's episode of the Women in MedTech podcast. I'm your host, Colleen Patterson. With me today are Barbara Strain and Stephanie Pitts. One of the items that we were talking about right before we started recording was that one of our favorite questions to ask our guests is the idea of how did you get here? And although we have touched on that very briefly, it wasn't something that we've really explored in terms of what our journey looks like. So we thought today would be a great day. All right. So coming off of that, I do think that, you know, that part of the discussion is so important. So let's go ahead and hear from Barbara first. You know, Barbara, you have been on the MedTechSperts panel now for a, a number of years. I And I know your story obviously did not begin with us. So, you know, one of our favorite questions to ask our audience is, you know, what was your journey? What was your path? I, I think everybody would love to know more about that. Well, as you can probably tell, I've I've told people all along that, you know, I'm I'm a lot older than my podcast mates and things. So it's not like I had on my dream list to become a podcaster. People would have said I was from Star Trek or something because it didn't exist and they'd have to, you know, beam me there or whatever. But um I I grew up in the 1960s in the San Francisco Bay Area, California. I had a lot going for me and didn't realize it until later because I grew up in a space where everyone was equal. There there wasn't a lot of uh, differences between um, men and women, uh, older and younger folks. And then the the 70s happened and and we, you know, burned undergarments and had uh, different sort of uh, walks for this and signs and all kinds of stuff. When I tell people that part of the story, they go, ah, I see why she's the way she is. It makes sense that you were a bra burner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, so, you know, and I had hair down to almost my waist and all kinds of things. And it was just different times. And so I was very fortunate, actually, to grow up during those times, because my oyster was wide open. Whatever I thought about, I could do uh, whatever college, as long as my grade sort of looked that way. So I came up sort of a slower way than others. I was always I always felt a few years behind the ball because I had a very good time. Uh, don't take anything into that. I had a very good time growing up, but you know my grades were so so. But I still wanted to go to college, so I made it happen in my own way. I went down a an interesting path that led me into sort of this uh, biology realm. So I became like this science person, which any of my teachers in high school would have gone, what? I would not have thought that Um, because I wasn't like the brightest one in the bunch, but boy, I, the quiet learned a lot type things. So It propelled me into sort of this biology realm. 
And people told me about some jobs in, and I'm going to say med tech, not in the context of which we're really talking about. It was medical technology, the profession of working in labs and helping patients. I always had an interest in anatomy and physiology, and people would always start to ask me questions about, you know, it's like I was a uh, Dr. Barbara and whatever, and I and I didn't go to school to learn any of that. But the most important things were I just felt that whatever I thought about and however I thought my career would bend and bend, I was allowed to sort of do that. There weren't roadblocks put in my way. And it wasn't until the mid-1990s where I finally ran into some interesting roadblocks that I thought things were smooth sailing, and then roadblocks got put in my way. So it took me about a week to figure out, okay, now what do I want to be when I grow up in my my next sort of jump the shark uh, event? And then I went into healthcare supply chain of all things, from managing microbiology labs and turning out results and going into supply chain. And people go, what? What? How did that happen? Because when you're doing various work, whether you're a nurse, a technologist, radio, whatever it is, you're making connection points in healthcare not only within your organization with all of the different managers and uh, business administrators and things, but you're also making a lot of connections with external, with manufacturers, distributors, group purchasing organizations. And that's where my mind kind of connected those two and was able then to start value analysis uh, as a profession and also within my organization. And it was at that time, there was a handful of us around the country that actually did jobs like mine. And so that's when we started down the path of really highlighting value analysis and how all that happens at the at the individual organization level, as well as larger national and global levels, which then opens doors. So one of the key things to know about me is that when I decide to do something, I'm like turning the spigot on full blast and trying to gulp all the water as fast as I can. So I join professional organizations. I go to meetings. I become uh, the sort of, um, not quite an expert, but somebody who actually can take all this stuff in and sort of meld and formulate it and be able to uh, help my organization uh, go forward in hospital and healthcare, but also to help professionals and all that other sort of business. So it led me to 
my retirement a few years ago, but knew that I was going to keep going in both professional organizations and how can I really help folks in healthcare. And that's when I decided to be a consultant, uh, helping suppliers and distributors and, and others. And now I'm even helping providers do a variety of things. So that whole arc was always very interesting to me, but I always felt that I had the support of all of my family and the support of others that I worked with that, you know, I just took that as my internal confidence that I gained over all those years and just move forward. So I really enjoy this podcast that we can share all these different scenarios and things. And where are we today continuing to help healthcare and others sort of see things? My my initial thought on that, Barbara, is for you to say, oh, I don't know that I would consider myself an expert. I, I know many people who would not agree with that statement, who who do consider you an expert. And, you know, me being able to see you in action in the years that we've known each other, uh, just you're you're so amazingly talented and, and humble to be like, oh, I'm I'm you know, it's nothing. It's just you know, and I think that during the time period in which you're you're referencing, you know, there were not a lot of women leaders in medicine, um, not not during the 70s, not really during the 80s. We, we really haven't seen that provider shift until more recent time. So really downplaying what that meant to be a woman in such a male-dominated field. And then even in the transition to supply chain, um, you know, and I know that you've told me a few times, you never really felt like you, know, you hit the glass ceiling. You never really felt like intimidated by being the only woman in the room. But I also know that there's a lot of women who don't have that any confidence. So, you know, for somebody who may not have that to begin with, somebody who may feel just a little bit more uncertain about taking up space, you know, what would you say to help them gain that confidence to, to, you know, to be the Barbara in the situation? So I always tell people that they can't worry about what other people say. You know what you know. And you can sit in a meeting virtually. You can be in a two-part conversation, wherever it is. You come with your own um, uh, knowledge set. You come with your own experiences. And the most important thing is to listen and to know what people are saying and doing around you, what your business is really doing that you're involved in, and then fill in your knowledge gaps or your uh, maturity gaps yourself or whatever. How do you keep track of all of that? And where do you get that information from? And how do you um, keep participating in the conversations, but also making those leaps to have innovation and to talk about different things. Uh, I have occasionally sat at a meeting and said, I think I said that about three years ago. But, you know, sometimes the, the person, place, things are just not aligned. And it's just nice to to see things and, and how they sort of project. I like to see things like at a 30,000 foot level while I still have my feet on the ground. 
you almost have to do both of those things at the same time. So I think people don't give themselves enough credit about their knowledge base and you know what you know and tell us about it. Barbara, I um, one thing I love about our sisterhood podcast we have here is also we have a multi-generational group of, of ladies that are gathering and our experiences are all obviously diverse and unique. Um, but you bring some of the historical development truly of the med tech space, which I think is 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 really um, unique and special. And you just said something that kind of resonated with me. And that is, you know, when you hear of an idea and you're like, I so thought of that 10 years ago and now it's coming back. And you almost have to just let it evolve and happen because you yep. either thought of it 10 years ago and it failed or, you know, it could be a good idea now, right? So mm-hmm. um, I would just be curious to tap into, you know, some of your thoughts on some of those old ideas are actually good now. And to your point, the circumstances change. So I'm sure you've had to use a lot of uh, control in, you know, keeping your mouth um, patiently quiet while you, while you evolve with, you know, listening to those ideas that you've tried in the past. So um, thoughts on, on just tapping into that a little bit, a little deeper. Yeah. You, you really want to blurt out You know, I told you so and that sort of, but you can't, but you can help to further those along because you have thought about them. And so you might throw out, well, what if we took that idea and, you know, what about this or that? So it's supporting those individuals that are ready to take that leap, who are saying things and that all of the alignment of the stars and sun and everything are now perfect in in that organization (laughs) or as a national sort of trend or whatever it is, because what the best advice I can always give any of my clients or anyone else who wants to hear my advice is you got to really understand that not everybody is in the same place as you are. And they may be way behind or may ahead, way ahead in certain things, but you have to understand that. And it's trying to help them get to a certain space sometimes that you can be the most helpful because you have thought about some of these things. And so you can you can bring them along or you can bring them to what that sort of mindset and things are. People would tell me all the time at meetings or right after we left the meetings. There you go, being logical again. They'd all have this discussion about something and I'd raise my hand and I said, well, you're saying some really great things and you are, but what if we did? Oh, we didn't think about that. So you have to get everybody kind of out of their vertical and into the vertical, you know, so you're all in the boat going in the same direction. I know I'm advancing when I'm at that point where I, I am saying, well, we tried that a few years ago. And I'm like, Steph, you got to you got to zip it. You got to go with the process mm-hmm. uh, where a few years ago, you know, I was, uh, you know, of that group with all these new great ideas that, you know, you would have already tried and tested. So um, I appreciate that insight. 
Barbara, one of the things that I always find really interesting, um, and even going back to the Roddy Medical podcast with Pat Denno sharing how she had really seen the landscape evolve. Um, mm-hmm. I know that through your your experience, you would have seen literally the face of healthcare change um, from paper charts to the integration of EMR, um, from you know building value analysis as a systematic practice, which is now foundational for all supply chain. I mean, you know, there's certifications for something that didn't used to exist. It used to be whatever the salesman came and brought me. So out of all of the the evolution that you've seen throughout your career, what would you consider the thing that A, was most surprising to you that happened? And then B, the thing that you would say that you're the most proud of, of, you know, Mm. we did that, we overcame that. Mhm. Two great questions. Uh the the one thing I'm going to start with the latter one cuz there's several of those proud moments but the moment where our chief of orthopedics walked through the what the back of the cafeteria was like a runway, right? So walking through the back of the cafeteria and I'm walking in the other direction and he said, that meeting was great. We have to have more like those. I'm on board. Sign me up. And I felt like I'd won the $1.5 billion lottery, you know, uh, because I'd been working for so many years in pockets of different parts of leadership and clinical parts of the organization and uh, trying to develop these ways in which we can all work together towards the common patient outcome goal in a very evidence-based, clinically driven and well thought through process. And they were getting it. And it that and it, there was a couple of other physicians who said some remarkable things and and my feet were dancing under the table, but here I was the calm <laughs> duck, right? above my neck. Um, so this up top and party down below, just, yeah, just like, <laughs> you know, it, you just get that and you're very professional, you know, continuing to take notes. I think there was a little blip like on a chart, you know, on my paper, but you know, you're getting somewhere And when a leader like a CFO or a CO or somebody goes to find you and say, we need to really take value analysis and what's going on to the next level. I mean, those are like golden words. And, you know, how much staff do you really need? What do you really need to do this? You know, so... It was going through all those stages that made it worthwhile that the journey kind of led to that. Um, The other thing, people think um, bad when things change suddenly. People just by nature don't like to change suddenly. But when things like the Affordable Care Act and COVID, and any of a number of things start happening to healthcare, but it was few and far between, and then now they're just sandwiched one after another. 
the ability for people to be flexible and to move. And I'm seeing those things happen and they're happening more quickly than they used to happen. And people would say, oh, yeah, we'll just get back to the way we were. Don't worry about it. You know, after another year or so, we'll be right back. Now, I have seen a little slippage, but nothing to worry about. But I think that we're learning that the business of healthcare just has so many pressures on it. And you have to keep track of them. So, like, every time I give, like, a presentation in front of a audience, so I was at a uh, ARM, which is the Association of Healthcare Resource and Material Management, their chapter meeting in Virginia, yay, go Virginia chapter, last weekend. And so when I talk, I go out and get the most recent information. So I'm giving them percentages of this and that and what's really going on. So they don't have to look it up, but they can be in the moment and not give something that was maybe a year and a half ago that really doesn't matter today. So that's a little bit of of the story. Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm getting over COVID. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm going to about die in a, in here. In one <laughs> second. So um, oh, pardon, pardon that interruption. So one of the things I think that that's really interesting when we're talking about the evolution of healthcare is something that you just brought up, which is historically it's, it's been incredibly slow moving. It's it's slow to adopt change. There's so much risk aversion that goes into that. Where now, within the last few years, we've seen a really significant paradigm shift of what care delivery could look like at home. Of of you know the incorporation of AI tools, of supplements, of you know just a really different standard of care for what was even what would even be possible opening up a lot of a lot more access but i think that there's also some things that you know people may not feel as strongly about that we we necessarily moved in the positive direction and i'm going to um specifically talk about you know the merging of individual hospitals into larger idns we've taken away a lot of the community hospitals um you know not not serving as much of we would you know rural america we we've moved away from the ability for one person to stand on their own and in order to get you know affordable care for their patients that we're having to form these these larger groups for purchasing power to hold any sort of sway. How do you feel like that change in particular has really impacted the way that care is delivered across the United States? It's had a big impact. And there's been a couple of uh, reports lately. One was uh, a study that was done that they looked at mergers and acquisitions and was healthcare better because of it. And so, germane question. So, <laughs> this was just a couple of weeks ago. This came out, and they said, except in a couple little pockets. So, how they looked at it, they looked at these organizations before they joined together. And then they looked at some that had, you know, these mega sort of mergers and acquisitions. And what they found is they looked at surgical outcomes that were publicly reported. So then they could measure. 
And except for a couple little pockets, all of them collectively were negatively affected. So the patients were actually not really better off than they were before the mergers and acquisitions happened. But because a lot of costs went into all of these, when you look at the value equation is outcomes quality divided by cost, that value sort of waned. So that's not what we're looking for. And when I hear that some organizations are looking to even merge more and more, Mm -hmm. then, like you said, you're kind of getting farther away from your base, your community base, because I'm very much on the side of fee-for-service going away and making more value-based care, but people aren't quite sure, what does that really look like? And what does that do to my margins and this and that? You have to rethink everything when you're doing that. And I don't think they're quite there yet. One of the concerns that I've I've heard a lot from you know the the clinician community just in the nature of what I do is the idea that as the decision makers move further away from the bedside, as we're having to go further up the chain in order to influence change, that there's been a lot of that point of care impact, and a lot of it's not always been really that positive. Um, I'm I'm going to switch to to actually ask. Stephanie, because um, you've you've got some of that bedside experience. Um, how do you feel like for this point in particular? How do you feel like that has evolved for for you? Because you spent a twenty five years bedside. Yeah, it's interesting because um, Barbara, I think you're right. I think the more you know, the business takes over, we lose the human component of of healthcare. And and I have to tell you, when I think of my own story and how I got to where I am, part of that is the core root of of me and and what I represent and stand for. And um I think in you know as we think about healthcare and as it's growing to really meet some of the business sustainability, um, we can never lose sight of not only the patients we serve, but the providers um, that are, you know, Boots on the ground, sleeves rolled up, masked up, um, suited up now, um, and and the work that they're doing, and and that's where I think you've got to strike a balance, right? When you think about um, the pillars instituted by the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, you know we have to figure out how to deliver high quality care, how to get optimal outcomes, and um, how to do so in a cost efficient manner, and um, you know, when I think of that, it's a really, it sounds great. Those pillars sound great, but it's actually a really hard task to do. And one thing that resonates with me, and, and I'm going to drive this home on every podcast because I, I believe it's critically important is when we do not have the providers at the table in those discussions, we are deficient. Mm-hmm. And and when I say providers, I'm talking if, if you're having meetings about how care is delivered and you don't have a nurse and the doctor and that care team there, then um, all of your decisions will be deficient. And so, um, you know, 
thinking about our podcast topic today of how did we get here? Um, I resonate deeply and think about this often. Why do I care so much? Um, you know, here I am a nurse. I'm on the med tech side. Um, Colleen, you mentioned spent 25 years um, as a nurse. Um, and actually a few years before that as a tech, so I was at the bedside probably almost 28 years. And I think we all have our reason to be here. I think everybody comes into healthcare. I don't know that our, people typically come here for the paycheck. Usually there's a, a human, <laughs> there's a human reason why, right? So yeah. um, I, I actually, I, I don't know that I've ever shared this. I have a brother with special needs. He was in the womb of my mother just before me. Um, so I, my mom had five kids and um, he was born before I was. His name is Aaron, and he has um, severe cerebral palsy. And so growing up, um, I saw his care delivery, and he was special needs. Um, and today, he's he. we just celebrated this year his 50th birthday. He lives in a home for special needs. I mean, he is a man in a wheelchair. He's, if, if you can imagine a 50-year-old with the capabilities of about a seven-month-old. Um, so I grew up around care providers. And so I think for me being a nurse and being in healthcare, it really, I was trained from the day I was born um, to care for others. It's truly just, I always say I was kind of dropped out of the sky to be a nurse, but I think I was really exposed um, to this from the day I was born. And, um, you know, fast forward, um, I thought I was going to be a calculus math teacher, by the way, because I, I did love math at one point. Um, but I know, I know it's crazy, but um, I became a, a pediatric nurse right out of nursing school and, you know, ventured through oncology nursing, emergency trauma nursing, and into healthcare leadership, which is where I created a business plan to develop a pediatric vascular access team long before teams were really existing to provide this specialty care. And you know, today I sit in a med tech position. I'm I'm on strategy and innovation on a strategy and innovation team. And I would have never have gotten here if when I was working as a pediatric vascular access nurse, if I didn't start asking questions because we didn't have the supplies we needed. Um, there they existed for adult patients, but not for pediatric and neonatal patients. And I said, Well, what if we had this? And what if it was smaller? And what if and I took those ideas to a manufacturer. I don't know what I was thinking. I went on their like random comment website and said, I have an idea I need to share with you. We need to make this smaller. I had no, I had, didn't hold back. I get, laid it all out and ended up working with that company with their engineers and their marketing team to develop and bring to market new product that truly changed how we place vascular access devices in neonates and babies. And I did it wrong. Nurses were not innovators back in the early 2000s. I did it totally wrong. Um, I would do things very differently today. Um, but what landed me here um, at the company I'm at today and some of the things that are really important to me are one, the people, um, the people I surround myself with, the people I get to work with every day, um, they've got to be really special. I, I get to choose that. We all get to choose where we, you know, where we, where we land, where we work. Um, also qual the quality, um, of what we get to do. We also get to choose that. 
We get to choose our attitudes and what we bring. Um, and we get to align with that mission. You know, working for a company, it's really important to read the mission statement that guides it. I know sometimes that seems, uh, I don't know, a pie in the sky, but that mission statement stands behind everything we do. And so that's really, um, really important um, to me as well. So I, I appreciate that question, Colleen. I don't know if I answered you, but... Um, <laughs> So I'm going to, I'm going to rephrase part of my question and ask it the same way that I asked the Barbara of, you know, having seen so much, having walked in so many different shoes, Stephanie, out of, out of all of the, the change that's happened since you started your career till now, what do you feel like was, you know, the most impactful where, you know, what decision that occurred, um, whether it's something about you personally or the the entire landscape, do you feel like has made the largest impact to where we are today? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I have to be honest, I feel like in the beginning of my career in healthcare, things were stagnant. We were very focused on rigid policies and rules and regulations. And what I began to see just, I feel like in the 10 years before 2020, we'll call COVID kind of this pivotal wall. I think when we look back in history, there will be this really big line in the timeline. For healthcare, <laughs> an incredibly yeah. transformative period of time. Very transformative. But what I will say was really cool that was happening is evidence-based practice was really evolving. We were truly beginning to see some of that rigidity evolve into new evidence where care changes were really happening because evidence was really driving care forward. It had to, the government's mandating it, right? We were being held accountable. It was really great to see even some of the quick evolution that probably made some people uncomfortable, but it was really exciting for me. And I think what's been really hard is COVID is if I, I believe when I'm, you know, retired and looking back in history books in the timeline, COVID is going to be this really dark, bold line on the timeline. And because we've shifted to survival mode mm -hmm. and I think of survival mode, not, you know, as a resource can, you know, constraint, a human resource constraint nurses were, we were short on nurses. We knew going into 2030 that we were, you know, millions worldwide behind in our ability to provide providers and now we have nurses leaving the, the profession in droves, retiring early, getting out, young nurses coming in and getting out quick. And um, so I pride myself. I'm so proud to be a nurse. And for so many reasons, I think not only the impact I've had on so many lives, um, the impact I, you know, to be a support and resource for my own family. Um, I'm really proud of that. Um, and the impact of the ability to mentor um, the next generation that, you know, being a nurse is so many, it can be so many different things, right? You could be at the bedside, you can be a researcher, you could be a teacher, you can be in med tech. Um, and so when you ask what I'm most proud of, I, I would say I'm really proud um, to be a nurse and to be a nurse still impacting care just in a really unique way in healthcare. 
So Stephanie has completely left out of her her story of her history, a project that she and I worked on together um, <laughs> that was multiple years in the making. That is, I, I would say, one of the things that I'm most proud of Stephanie for, um, which I'm, I'm going to segue this back so you get to talk about it yourself, because um, I know that that's not something we're all always comfortable with is, is talking about how we we as individuals have changed the landscape of, of healthcare. And really when I was looking for, you know, starting the idea of what would this podcast even be? What would it look like? I looked at the the women in my life who I thought were really aspirational, who I was proud to know and, and consider them amongst friends. People like Barbara, who's started what value analysis is um, and getting to know Stephanie through the years of us working together um, and most specifically on her doctoral project. Uh, you know, people who I look up to in, in my career of, you know, people who I think really have done some amazing things. So Stephanie, what was your doctoral project? What was that all about? <laughs> Colleen, you still want to be my friend after that? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. That was, I would consider that one of the best projects I've worked on here at the Clinician Exchange. So definitely. Oh so, gosh. T- tell us all tell us all about it. That's so sweet. Um maybe it was the like, I don't know. I I'll maybe I need to pay you after this for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> it was what an excellent job you did with your references. Really top-notch work there. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, okay. So um, I'll keep this quick, but, you know, peripheral intravenous catheters are the most common invasive procedure in healthcare. And every time anybody hears that I work for a company that manufactures them, we, I always hear, you know, the the most traumatic worst stories. I get all the pictures. They're in the hospital. They're sending me pictures of their ID. And um, it's difficult because it doesn't have to be that way, but there's some basic things that are missing. So for my doctoral work, I took um, a group of my friends. We had, we had published a minimum competency. So believe it or not, there, it doesn't even exist a lot of times, the minimum competency required to put in these basic devices, but it's important. Um, so we took that and Colleen, um, so, so thankful for your support. Um, but we created an e-learning course to provide minimum competency education for pediatric IV insertion. And um, it didn't exist, you know? So you think about we think about how complex healthcare is getting. You talk about AI and um, the complexities of what computers are doing for us. But when I look back, some of the basics aren't being covered, and that's one of them. Um, so, yeah, Colleen, thanks for putting up with me. I think you were with me, I would say, on some of the best days of my life, but also some of the most difficult. Um, and it was a great project. I mean, but it, I think that's an important thing, Colleen, what you bring up is. Here we are in a really complex landscape. And, you know, in the same sentence, we have to talk about some of the most complex things, but we also have to acknowledge um, some of the basics um, are still needed and missing. And, um, you know, it's it's just important not to ever be afraid to, to speak that and to blaze those trails and to fill those gaps. Um, so super important. We all have a special spot, I think, in the evolution of healthcare. And you certainly had a special spot in, in my journey. <laughs> so 
Yeah, you're just saying that uh, when Steph, so I was on site with Stephanie as we were actually filming the instruction for that module, sitting on the floor of the bedside room and providing direction. So that's the special spot is, is on the floor in the corner. So I'm out of the way of the, the camera. Uh, Stephanie did not mention this, but I, I it's one of the things that I uh, am really proud of specifically for that project is that she won the Suzanne Erbst Award for that work in particular, you know, when we're talking about changing the landscape of where we are and what we do, you know, what will this future look like? You know, I think it can be really difficult for us to say, you know, I'm, I did this and I'm really proud of it out loud. Um, you know, we're, we're uncomfortable with that. It, it can feel boastful, but I'm very proud of you um, for both of you guys. I know that we are at the end of our time today. So I'm sure on a future episode, um, Abby and I'll get an opportunity to tell our stories, but uh, you know, thank you guys both for sharing. I am so proud to be in your company. You have both had such amazing careers and just, I just appreciate so much that we get the opportunity to spend this time together, you know, getting to know each other better and getting to share our stories to help, you know, those that will come after us. So thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Colleen. Thanks, Barbara. Okay, for our audience, if you've not already done so, be sure to subscribe. Uh, we look forward to having you on future episodes of the MedTech Business Academy, and we hope that you all have a fantastic day.